0: So welcome everybody. This is Lynn Gilliland and we are with Lessons from Leaders, which is sponsored by Humentum. And we have the, or I have the great pleasure of having Caroline Anstey here, who is the president and CEO of PACT. And I have, Caroline brings so much, Caroline, you bring so much background, varied background to your role. And I It's just so interesting how you're thinking about it and what you're, the way you think about leading in an NGO when you have so much experience in other areas. So I'm really glad that we can capture your thoughts here. So welcome. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. And you are, just remind us when you started with PACT. I started in March of uh,
1: 2020. Just two days after the mandatory um, work from home. So I never actually went into the office until a few weeks ago.
0: And so talk about that, just for starters, how is it there's no roadmap for that, for leading when you can't see your people, you can't be with them, being a new leader team building, how, how is that experience for you?
1: I think it's, it's, it's been challenging. I think we've all fallen into a, a, um, norm where actually, uh, in some ways it can work. Uh, I don't think it can work forever because I think you do erode team capital, institutional capital, social capital, but, um, In terms of Zooming, sitting all day and Zooming, I think it creates a flatter organization. If I think of my relationship now, albeit through Zoom, with um, my colleagues in the DC office, which is about 100 people, it's really no different from my relationship with my colleagues in Cambodia Mm. or Thailand or Dominican Republic um, because we're all communicating through Zoom. Uh, nobody's getting to meet anybody else. Nobody's getting time to stand around uh, having coffee in the coffee bar. Uh, and I think in that way, it's, it's actually been a little bit of a positive. And I've enjoyed getting to know people's um, wallpaper, their families, their pets, uh, getting to know colleagues in a way I probably never would have uh, if I just started in the office. Having said that, I'm delighted now to be starting slowly, slowly going back into the office.
0: So how do you, I love that. How do you hang on to that? Like I'm in, you said, Cambodia, I'm envisioning suddenly the staff are on equal footing in Cambodia as the staff in, in, in your headquarters in Washington, D.C. How do you not lose that, that feeling, that sense of they have as much contact with you or um, I just want to say like they have as much of you as others do.
1: I think um, what I've tried to do is meet with all the country teams um, and then uh, meet with the country directors obviously as one-on- ones but we we have a very strong culture program going impact we we spent a long time debating what our three values should be, um, respect, integrity, and, um, and diversity. And we um, now have cultural ambassadors in all our offices who meet on a regular basis. I've tried to join those meetings. And they start those meetings always by talking about how everybody's doing through the pandemic mm. and what are their personal uh, strategies for getting through it. And that has been a wonderful bonding exercise of, again, bringing together experience from Zimbabwe or South Africa or Colombia and all learning from each other. I think we need to keep some of that going, even when we're all back in our offices.
0: And how did you, like your natural leadership style, did you have to adjust it at all? Did you have to pull out parts of you that are less familiar or less comfortable or lean into things that are you're already really comfortable with? I think, um, I think that
1: people tend to think, oh, leaders must lead. Um, they forget the other L sometimes, which is leaders must listen. Mm. They must listen and they must lead. And I think COVID has made that even more so. So if I compare my leadership style now with how I was at the, at the World Bank or when I worked in banking for UBS, I would say more, more listening, better listening, more deliberate listening to try and also see um, where staff are going, what, how staff are feeling. In the last year and a half, I've noticed that we've had Kind of way emotional waves of people feeling energized let 's all do trivia let 's all have virtual coffee hours or cocktails to to feeling I never want to turn my screen on <laughs> i right. 'm too depressed to to have my screen on, and to an extent, I think you have to follow that you have to follow where people 's uh, psyches are going at the same time we set up um, a global uh, em- emotional wellness um, uh, support with, uh, with people one could talk to, professionals, if you really had um, issues who were available all around the world where our staff were, and also mindfulness uh, meditation. So we tried to support staff in that way. And, and I think that's all part also of leadership, of, of, of the services you provide to to your colleagues across the world
0: so to go back to listening that there's we talk about that a lot and it it takes stop, stopping slowing down probably being mindful to listen and to do something with what you're hearing so it, in some ways it's in my mind anyway it's like clearing space clearing the mental clutter so that you can listen. And I wonder, I'm just imagining you as a new CEO, that's must be quite a discipline to do that.
1: Um, I think, I think it is because you're listening both in terms of doing a listening tour to listen about the portfolio, Mm -hmm. the business development opportunities the political situation and the economic situation in all our countries. But at the same time, you have to be actually listening to what's going on between the lines and between the words. And um, I think we had for, for a while, all everybody, all our countries, we have, we're active in 40 countries, but we have 20 overseas offices. All of them were working from home. Mm. And um, I think that means you do have to listen
0: in a, in a different way hmm. That's very interesting. i hadn't thought about it this the way that we're talking about it right now and And when you lead people through like um, decolonization and a new way of working together i don 't know if you all are doing a hybrid system workplace or so when you lead people through all these kinds of changes, what do you find to be? successful in getting them, your, your, your talent, your people to go along with you? I think, um, I think what we've done with our country
1: offices is let them drive whatever arrangement makes sense for them. In, in, uh, in DC, we've come to the conclusion that we will run a hybrid operation. We will um, ask people to be in the office two days a week. And they'll always be the same days, Tuesday and Wednesday, because we actually want everybody in together. And our office is large enough. We can do that in a socially responsible way. Um, But if you just bring teams in, um, separate teams in on separate days, you don't get the benefit of the cross team uh, interaction and integration. And um, we'll see. We haven't launched it yet. We launch it on um, January 10th. Mm. Um, where um, at the moment people can go into the office on a voluntary basis. Uh, some are because they prefer to work from the office and work from home. Uh, we've mandated vaccines. We, we have to do that, actually, as a contractor to the U.S. US government. We, we did it, actually, for the office before then. Um, and we're trying to introduce a um, flexible work schedule, So within those two days in the office, people can have flexibility around their hours. Uh, We'll have to see how it goes. This is all new terrain. I think um, we've we've tried to listen. We've tried to have focus groups. Uh, We've tried to bring everybody into the conversation. I hope we're coming out in a good place. Is everybody going to be happy? Probably not. Uh, Some people would probably rather stay at home five days a week. I feel it is important to spend some time together in the office in, in the course of the week.
0: Yeah. And and I think the research, you know, shows us that we do better. We're more creative when we're together, even though um, a, a lot of us still would like to be working at home and, and you're, I've heard from so many organizations, despite all the listening that they've done, when they have rolled out their program, it's getting a lot of pushback. No matter how much they've invested um, in the trying to hear and listen and craft something that works, it's they're still getting a lot of um, people saying, "No, this is still not going to work for me." So, well, we'll see. We keep you posted. Uh, Yes, please do. And and I think the key is what you're saying, right, to be flexible. We're going to try, then we'll see, we'll adjust. You know, we're all, again, since March 2020, we're just all learning here as we go along. So, Carolyn, for you, I'm curious. See, I'm looking up there because I'm thinking about what what question I'm going to ask you. I really want to ask, ask you this. So, For you, your leadership style—what what what feels like your that stretches you like this—is within this area. I've got it. I'm good. And in this other areas, I'm I'm more wobbly. It's more uncomfortable. I really have to—I don't know—gird my loins or take a deep breath. Or I think I think it's
1: challenging to join an organization and not be able to see any of our projects. Mm. I had anticipated uh, spending my first year um, in the job going around and really seeing the projects on the ground, in part because that is what fires you up to go out and sell sell what PAC does, in a sense, to to partners and donors and, and try and increase our impact and grow grow the organization, not being able to do that, not being able to get that feeling and seeing a HIV AIDS program with orphans and vulnerable children or a good governance program working with women, um, women who uh, are suffering from physical abuse. It makes it, it makes it much harder. And I found that, um, making that emotional commitment to the projects that we have has been very difficult. I've, I've learned about them. I've had um, endless meetings often about them. I know the facts on paper. It's not the same. And I would say that's, I think that's been the most challenging aspect. Um, We decided to use this time. I don't think I've been alone in this, but we decided to use the year to do a new strategy Mm. Um, so, we've really um, pivoted, in a sense, the organization with new strategic goals and directions and KPIs. I think that's been good. And my instinct was to make it a participatory strategy, although not so participatory that we're crowdsourcing it. We had, to, we had focus groups, but we had to have a committee um, drive it. I think we've come out in a very good place. And that is, in a sense, energized people. But um, some of it is still missing for me until I, I get out and, and meet the teams and see the projects.
0: Thank you for that. So it's, it's like, and you said that the emotional part, like you have it all in your head, you have all the facts, but you're noticing like something's missing, an emotional connection because you haven't seen it, you haven't met the the staff in person, and that makes. A and lot the communities, the communities where we work. That is very interesting. I've heard that about board members, new board members, not being able to make the connection because they haven't that emotional connection. But I hadn't thought about it for a CEO like you, and I that makes sense. And so it's almost like you're kind of blind, or you're working with one arm tied behind your back, or. Your whole self isn't there. Maybe maybe that's too strong, but I think that's that's
1: too strong. I mean, I, I can become emotional when I talk to the teams, but mm-hmm. it's not it's not it's it's I would say seventy five percent. there's that twenty five percent missing because I really I need to see the communities. We t- we work in communities. We we talk about our value added being in engaged communities not being able to to be part of those communities, is it's hard.
0: Yeah, no, I can see that. Thank you for sharing that. I'm glad I asked that question. And when you think about leaders that you admire, what are like the attributes of leadership that you aspire to or that you've seen other or you yourself are doing? I think um, – I think inclusive leadership, and that's
1: the listening uh, that I'm talking about. I think le- leadership which looks ahead beyond one's own tenure. Mm. There, there is a terrible, um, a terrible practice in politics that people only really care about what they what they can associate with, or what they can get credit for, or what's going to happen in, within their tenure. I think I think great leaders are really looking ahead for what will the organization be beyond their tenure and seeding, seeding change for the future. And I think uh, we've seen that in all the debate on climate change recently, um, which are the leaders that can really project forward, even if uh, they, have to, um, they have to somewhat sacrifice the here and now. I think that's, that's very important to me to have the strategic the, the institutional view. And then I think leaders who encourage their senior teams to really behave as an integrated senior team and take responsibility. I don't believe in the the lone leader out there uh, being the only one who's leading. You need a team, you need a strong team you need a team that represents the the departments but is capable of putting on the big institutional hat and seeing across, and will understand that sometimes their own department may have to take a back seat to somebody else's department because that's the good of, for the good of the institution. So I really believe in, in leaders who can nurture a sense of collective responsibility.
0: How do you nurture a sense of collective responsibility, because that is a tricky one in a leadership team? You know? I
1: think that you have to um, you have to have people be prepared to share in solutions, mm. so nobody can say, "I'm sorry, this is my department, only I get to decide um, It doesn't mean that every every department has to be run like a democracy amongst a senior team. But people have to see the connections. And then uh, senior teams absolutely have to understand the finances of the organization. If they don't understand the finance, uh, and this may be true for the whole staff as well, I think, sometimes. If you don't understand the mechanics of how an organization works, you can never get beyond thinking, I want this for me. And my team and my department, and why don't I have resources? Um, Organizations live and breathe on whether they're sustainable and whether they survive and whether they can grow. And um, that's the reality in the development world, whether it's public, private, NGO. It's the reality for everyone, unless they've got such a huge funding base, they don't have to care about that. But for most, it's the reality. And uh, to be a good team player, you have to understand the parameters that you're working with. Otherwise, you're constantly saying, I want more resources. I want more people. I want more money. And uh, I don't care if it's at the expense of this area over there. Uh, you have to understand that they're, what the limitations are.
0: Thank you. And I had not thought about everybody understanding the budget and the the whole funding um, parameters. And it also makes me think that um, what I've seen is that that's very difficult in many organizations to do to get everybody to put on their we're in this together hat, and I linking it to what you're talking about earlier as being the leader who thinks beyond your own tenure and and I think those go together the, the your executive team thinking beyond their own tenure what's the best for the organization for the organization after we're not after we're gone to, I think those those are linked um I also want to take a little left turn, and I gave you a heads up. Uh, talking about climate change, it's come, I I know, I think we need to always be talking about it. It is a thing. It's going to be here. It's going to impact all of us. It's going to impact the people that you're trying to serve. So as in your role as CEO of PACT, what are you thinking about climate change? What's the responsibility? Where, Where are you in thinking about climate change and you and PACT? I think um,
1: I would say uh, we we divide it into two. First of all, climate change in terms of putting our own house in order, our own operations. So we've um, we work with an organization called South Pole to do a to benchmark where we are on emissions, mm. and we we have we have a goal for twenty thirty to be uh, net zero. And so we're looking at all our offices, what that means in terms of transport, heating, energy, aircon. Um, and then, of course, we're looking at our global footprint in terms of travel. And we've, we are asking people now to, to really look at the footprint in terms of when they engage in travel. So no more transatlantic trips just to go to one country. It has to be multiple countries has to be justified in terms of the emissions. We have to think about offsets and, and um, serious, serious, meaningful offsets. Um, And that's been interesting because culturally uh, people, people I think initially expected to get right back into travel. Once travel opened up and we're saying, no, wait, wait, wait. Um, We, we won't be able to do as much travel if we care about our, our emissions but also, this is talking about decolonization of aid. This is also a very good reason to put more uh, responsibility in at the local and the regional level. It shouldn't be, should never have been in development, in my mind, but it certainly shouldn't be in 2021 all about people always going out from Washington or London or wherever, To to countries, we have enormously good competence in our countries, and we need to grow that with with a strong line of sight to to D.C., because we're the ones who have to guarantee the the legal and the financial management and the anti-money laundering and those kind of things. We need the line of sight, but we also need to build strong teams um, around the world. Um, So that's putting our own house, if you like, in order But in terms of what we actually do as well, um, we have a strand of work. We call it sustainable markets. It looks at energy, extractives, mining, um, and environment and livelihoods. And essentially, it's all about climate change. Uh, Supply chains, how you have supply chains that serve the community, but that make sure that products are being mined or produced in a sustainable way in line with net zero Um, how do we do sustainable fisheries Uh, how do we do sustainable energy energy for all local mini grids Um, so we're going to beef up that um, practice some of that is with um, donors um, government donors A lot of it is now increasingly with the private sector, who we're seeing um, just recently in Glasgow, who are upping their own commitment to transparency around climate change goals, ESG goals, and we want to be very much part of that debate. So I would say uh, focus on our own operations. We will be net zero by 2030, and we will measure that and report on it every year and then focus on what we're actually doing in terms of our portfolio and our projects.
0: I am so glad I asked you that question. That was uh, very inspiring. And I hope that we talk before 2030 to find out how it's going. I, I am quite moved by what what you're doing, that you have plans, that it's so clear that you're being so uh, fierce about it. Um, 2030 is not that far away. I feel very, I feel very, I feel very moved by what you just said. So Caroline, we're up at our time. Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on that we haven't touched on?
1: No, I don't think so. Except I really think this is an exciting time for international development coming out of out of a dreadful pandemic, I hope lessons have been learned. I think that the, the the power of the local community is coming more and more into its own. People know they cannot deliver whether it's resilience for pandemics or action on climate change without the voice of the local community. So there's more and more uh, there's more and more to be done, and I think it's a a very exciting time to be in, to be in this business. So I'm, I just feel incredibly proud to have had this opportunity to to lead, to lead PACT. It's, it's really remarkable.
0: And thank you for that. And you're leading PACT like now, like this special moment in history. And from what you're saying, I, I think they're lucky to have you. Well, thank you. I'm lucky to have them. So Caroline, thank you so much for coming and being in our podcast. And we will definitely circle back and see how all these initiatives are going. Thank you. It was great.